When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal. But it's always beyond reality. Welcome to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Always glad to be here as we kick off the second show of the week. And we're going to be talking about good old paranormal topics tonight. In fact, we might get some explanations, at least a perspective, that is. Our guest tonight will be Frank J. Bennett. He's the author of a book called Encounter with the Aberdeen Wild Man. Now, Frank had many, many paranormal experiences in his childhood and young uh, adolescence that he decided to write about, and he put them into this book. The pivotal encounter was with a creature that he calls the Aberdeen Wild Man. And in retrospect, he's learned how to explain and describe some of these experiences. And a lot of that came from his uh, study of the Bible. He is now a Bible teacher, and he says his biblical uh, knowledge gives him a new perspective on the paranormal. So we're going to talk about that with Frank tonight, and we'll bring him in, of course, after the first break of the evening. We'll also take your phone calls at 844-687-7669. That'll be in the second part of the program. You may have had a um, paranormal experience similar to Frank's, and you'll uh, want to share that with us. Later in the week, tomorrow night, we've got Gordon Curl Smith, who's the author of uh, Meta Real Books. He's got a new book out called Revelation Antarctica, and we'll be talking about that tomorrow night. And Thursday, Brian Clune and Bob Davis will be here to talk about their new book called Ghosts and Legends of Alcatraz. They'll also talk about Frank Sumption's Ghost Boxes. That's a device that many people use pretty um, loyally, actually, in their uh, paranormal investigations. Now, Alcatraz is a pretty cool place. I actually had an opportunity to go there uh, many years ago. It's a fascinating um, place to visit. And the stories and legends, not necessarily paranormal, although there are many, uh, the stories and legends related to Alcatraz are pretty incredible themselves. So uh, we'll have a great time talking about all of that with Brian Clune and Bob Davis. That'll be Thursday night's program. A lot of great stuff coming up on the show, of course. And as always, visit our social media sites. Facebook, it's Beyond Reality Radio, and it's J.V. Johnson. Like them both. And I really want you to go to YouTube. I'll wait. Go to YouTube and search for J.V. Johnson. Find the channel there. Uh, If you don't have a radio station in your area carrying the program yet, this is a great way to listen to the show because we stream live on YouTube every night as well. Plus, there are an archive, or there is an archive of back episodes there, about 360 or so back episodes on YouTube that you can listen to, catch up on, whatever it happens to be, plus some special content. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. We want you to become part of our army. Again, go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. I'm sure you can find it if you search for Beyond Reality Radio as well. 
A lot of great stuff uh, going on here on the show, so we want you to be part of it. We'll go to break. When we come back, we will bring in our guest. Again, we're talking tonight with Frank J. Bennett, and we'll be talking about all things paranormal. The Halloween season begins at Scaracon, the ultimate horror and pop culture gathering. Coming to the Rochester Riverside Hotel, October 18th through 20th. Panel discussions and celebrity guests, including the Phantasm 40th Anniversary Cast Reunion and Hellraiser's Pinhead, Doug Bradley. Cosplay and costume contests with a special one just for the young horror fans. Film screenings, parties, and unique vendors. Scaracon is a fun, family-friendly fan convention. October 18th through 20th at the Rochester Riverside Hotel. Discount admissions available at Scaracon.com. We're going to be talking about all things paranormal tonight. Our guest, Frank J. Bennett, is the author of a book called The Encounter with the Aberdeen Wild Man, a true story. He's also a Bible teacher, and we'll be talking about his book and his biblical perspective on the paranormal. Frank, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you here. Thank you. Let's talk about how your fascination with the paranormal began. When did that start for you? Well... Uh, like I tell many people, uh, I, I got a lot of friends who are fascinated when I talk to them about all things paranormal, cryptozoological, and whatever, because they themselves have always heard about it, and they crave being able to actually witness something for themselves. And they don't believe anything unless they can see it. And so when I hear somebody like me talk about how I had my own personal experiences, so that's why I believe, you know, for them, it's, it's, it, if they can't see it, they can't believe it for themselves. You don't choose it. It chooses you. And uh, my experiences began when I was very young, a young teenager. And um, I, uh, I account most of those in my book. Had you been uh, curious about the paranormal, aware of the paranormal, or maybe even a believer in some of these paranormal phenomena before you had your first experience? No. No, when I was, uh, my, uh, I, when I speak to groups, I always like to ask them, you know, when was your first time? And, of course, immediately the mind goes to something sexual, but, you know, what was your first encounter with something paranormal that you can recall? And mine occurred uh, when I was just very young, 13, maybe 14 years old. And it was, it was a very simple and subtle thing. I was sleeping one night, and I woke up out of a sound sleep, and I was just consciously aware that there was something in the house. It was just that simple. Nobody else in the house was awake. Uh, I couldn't get back to sleep, but I had to know what was in the house. So I, I got up at night, and I'm walking around the house by myself in the dark looking for I don't know what, and I went back to bed. And then, you know, several nights later, I got up the same way, and I'm looking for something again in the house. I don't know what it is. And eventually, you know, I find myself eventually in the basement looking for it. And then as this evolves, as time evolves, and it happens more and more again, I find myself outside the house in the yard looking for it. And as we evolve even further down, uh, I'm on the neighbor's properties, and then I'm on neighboring farms. And, you know, at the ultimate evolution of all this, maybe a few weeks later, I find myself miles down the road in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the night, looking for something, and I don't know what I'm looking for. I was just driven and compelled to to go out into the woods and look for something, and I don't know what I'm searching for. And that, as I look back on, on it today, that was my first introduction to something paranormal. How do we define the paranormal? I mean, obviously, there's a definition of the word, um, but in a more general sense, what types of phenomena qualify to be considered paranormal phenomena? 
anything that cannot be scientifically codified or classified. And those experiences can differ from, from, from person to person as well. Um, you know, we, we can easily talk about ghosts. We can easily talk about cryptids, whether it's Bigfoot or something else. We can talk about UFOs, but then we get into these real gray areas, and you kind of just defined one as well. But um, things like out-of-body experiences or some type of telepathic connection between people, you know, we get into some really strange things, but they all form this, uh, this uh, universe that we call paranormal phenomena, and it's all connected in some way, don't you think? Everything's connected. Uh, and as a Christian and a Bible teacher, all things are connected because all things were made by God. When you started to have these experiences as a child, you said you were, you were in your early teens when it really started. Did you, were you aware what was going on? Was it confusing? Was it scary? No, you're just a young, dumb kid, and you don't know your uh, backside from a hole in the ground. You don't know what's happening to you. It's just a strange series of events, and you're really afraid to talk to anybody about it because, you know, kids are mean to other kids. Your parents don't understand. I was in a Catholic church at the time. Uh, it, you know, at about the same time all this was going on, began this um, strange oppression of uh, powerful forces, you know, voices in my head, voices about me that were trying to convince me of how, you know, my life was such a waste and how such a mistake I am as a human being. And that, you know, it was really driving me down. You know, you would have a good day and these, you would have these feelings when you're by yourself and powerful thoughts, powerful images just driving you down, depressing you. And the only answer at the end of all of this was to simply kill yourself, you know, commit suicide. And uh, it's different from depression. Depression is a clinical thing. It can be measured. It can be examined um, uh, without a professional present. You can examine it for yourself and see the symptoms. It's different from depression. These are a, a singular message designed to drive a teenager into believing a particular concept, which is only solution is its own self-destruction. Now, depression doesn't work that way. Depression is, is pandemic. It works in all fields of your life, not just one. I mean, it's everywhere, in all things. Um, but in addition to that, and I account this in the book, is that when I was uh, very young, I, I, I was um, possessed with these very disturbing images. It's tough to describe them, but uh, I would be having these strange visions and images at the strangest and oddest times of, of living things being... Uh, torn apart, viscerated, uh, opened up in front of me. And um, they're very disturbing. But, you know, what's, what's odd, it's amazing what people can get used to. It's very odd how you can get used to something like that actually happening to you. And it doesn't actually disrupt your life. It just makes it all more puzzling and difficult. In reading about your experiences, the word demonic has come up, although it's not in the sense that we might think of demonic activity. Explain how you use the word demonic in terms of the things that you were experiencing at that point in your life. Um, I use the word demonic um, sparingly in my book because as a Bible teacher, you will not find the word demonic in the Greek. Uh, excuse me, in the Hebrew. Uh, you'll find it in the Greek, and this is because the Greeks had an exacting term for about every turn of, of phase of anything. 
for example, if they want to talk about blue, the color blue, well, I mean, there's different shades to blue. They'll have different words for different shades of the color blue. And for that reason, when they looked at the Hebrew texts and they wanted to explain um you know how Jesus, what kind of spirits Jesus was dealing with, and the kind of attitude the spirit would have, the power it would have. Uh, they needed a different term than devil or spirit. So, you know, to give it uh, the the terminology more power, more weight, more authority, more kalar, c h uh, o l a r, they came up with the word daemon because that that appoints this particular kind of spirit as having some form of powerful authority different from other spirits. That's, that's why you have that. And so I'm sparing when I use that terminology. We have a lot of, uh, we're kind of jumping all over here, but uh, one, one answer leads into the next question. We have a lot of people talking about demonic activity uh, these days. In fact, I was just reading a news article about um, a couple of clergymen who are saying that they see a tremendous in- uptick in demonic activity amongst people and having to perform exorcisms. Wh- what do you attribute all that to? Not, not necessarily the phenomenon itself, but the fact that people are saying there's an uptick. Frenzy. Uh, you know, I, I I I see this everywhere I go. Um, I've, I've been very. It, it's tough for me to explain to people how I feel about the you know the demonic activity going on because it's 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 like you're taking something that's always been there, and a latter generation uh, slapped a new term on it, and they want everybody to believe it that way. And that's kind of what's happening. You're you're not dealing with anything that has not been here before. These things have been with us forever and a day. We've just given them new names and, and new attitudes and ascribing new theories and attributes to them. That's all. How many times is that word used, the demonic possession or just demonic activity, used uh, inappropriately when defining someone who actually has uh, a personality trait issue, maybe a mental illness, um, maybe just a behavioral issue? That's true, and nobody listening to this broadcast can tell the difference. And many people, I, I love to do this when I speak, I put up images of people who appear to be demonically possessed. Um, Charles Manson, for example, who thought he, who acted like he was demonically oppressed, right. uh, possessed, but really he was just acting. Um, Linda Blair, who I, I, I've met, uh, who portrayed somebody demonically depressed, uh, excuse me, oppressed, uh, possessed, excuse me. Uh, but um, th- this is Hollywood. You don't know who's possessed and who's not by the outward appearances of things. And I would like to reference uh, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 22, when I do so. This is the story of the Last Supper. At the Last Supper, Jesus is uh, sitting with everybody else, all the other 12 disciples, and um, Sitting to his left is the disciple John, the beloved disciple. Sitting to his right is Judas Iscariot. Um, they are sharing a bowl of what's called sop. It's a kind of like a liquid suspension, like a gravy that you would dip your bread into so you can eat it. And um, he's speaking to the beloved disciple, and uh, John asks him, Who's going to betray you, Master? And Jesus says to him, uh, He who I give sop to... It is he who will betray me. And he slides the ball over and gives it to Judas Iscariot, who dips his bread into the uh, gravy and has sop. And that's how they know. And at that moment, and you'll find this in the book of Luke, chapter 22, it says that, and Satan entered into him, into Judas Iscariot. And 
Jesus turns to Judas at that moment and says, whatever you do, do it quickly. And Judas gets up and runs and does what we all know he does. He betrays Jesus. Jesus was not talking to Judas. He was talking to Satan. Mm. But Judas, unaware of the fact that he's possessed by Satan, thinks that he's actually saving Jesus' life by turning him over to the temple guards, because he knows the Romans will kill him. But uh, this is the nature of demonic possession, the nature of possession itself. Would anybody disagree with me that Satan is the single most powerful demonic entity in existence? Yeah. And I would think not. And there you have Judas Iscariot, possessed by the most powerful demonic spirit in existence, and you will find no mention of his head spinning around on his shoulders, (laughs) his eyes flaming red. Do you find a lot of explanations and illustrations of what we talk about in paranormal discussions throughout the Bible? Yes. Yes, I do. Is that something you set out to do, or did you just discover that as you were going through your Bible studies? Uh, uh, actually, I didn't know it was there until I went looking for it. It's one of the wonderful things about Scripture. It always has something new to tell you that you didn't know before. And uh, when I uh, started diving into the research, it really surprised me. I, this stuff was under my nose the whole time, and I didn't know it. How, how did you get into the biblical studies to begin with? You've had a varied career path, from what I understand, and at some point uh, that was the direction you chose. What made you go that way? Well, I'm like everybody else. I tried many things, trying to make a really good living. You, you, you succeed at some things, you fail at most. And, um, you know, uh, in the mid-1990s, I, be, I got saved, and uh, that changed my um, ability to understand Scripture, because I was always trying to understand the Bible, and I, didn't, I just never could. It was all gobbledygook to me. When I got saved, it all changed. It all started to make sense to me. And uh, that enabled me to study better. And uh, that enabled me to get to a point where I could achieve a degree in Bible studies. So, uh, and I wasn't even thinking about the paranormal at that time. Uh, I, I just started li- watching and listening to uh, broadcasts and videos of people have posted about strange things they had seen and encountered also. And I realized that that is so similar to the stuff I encountered, that it made me start wanting to reflect on those experiences myself. And so after years of gathering information and putting things together that's what led to the book let's talk more about the book itself the title is called encountered with the encounter with the aberdeen wild man a true story what's the aberdeen wild man the aberdeen wild man is a humanoid creature i ran into accidentally on the shores of the chesapeake bay in february of 1980 you ran into this creature on the shores of the chesapeake bay yeah, the uh, the bay itself is only about maybe five miles from my house, and uh, it was the coldest day of the year of 19, February 1980. We had been we went to school, but everything was so darn, darn cold. But the pipes were freezing, so they they put us right back on the buses and sent us back home again. Now, if anybody remembers anything about the late 70s and early 80s. Um, There were probably over a billion soap operas on TV at that time. (laughs) And if there weren't soap operas, there were game shows. Uh, Let's put it in a nutshell. Teenagers are not going to sit and watch that. So in the face of that, you, as a teenager, you will still go outside in nine-degree weather and play anyways. 
And so what I decided to do, seeing everything was froze over, I decided to go on one of the local rivers and just, you know, it's all iced over, so I thought I'd just walk on it all the way down to the bay. And so um, I got to the point where the ice got thin enough where I couldn't do it anymore. I actually fell through the ice and made it to shore. And from there I was in the marshes. And, uh, uh, you know, during that time of the winter, the marsh grass is a little lower, you know, maybe six foot, five, six foot. And... um, out in the marshes is, is dotted with all these little islands of various sizes. And uh, when I got about as far as I possibly could, I'm standing there uh, at this tip uh, out in the marshes. I'm looking out over the water. I'm enjoying, you know, life itself. It's a beautiful sunny day, nine, eight, nine degrees outside. Uh, the birds are flying. Everything's wonderful. And then uh, I got this strange, strange feeling that something was behind me. And as I'm standing there watching the birds, I'm watching them flying, and I realize that I can't hear them. I can see them, but I cannot hear them. And I also realize that in my peripheral vision, I can see the tall grass rustling past me in, in the light wind, but I can't hear that either. It's just a really weird, numbing feeling. And that feeling that something was behind me got very intense, like something was rushing up behind me. And it caused me to turn around. And about 100 feet away was this island, which was about the width of a, you know, maybe about the width of a football field and the length of two football fields. Um, at one time, it was joined to the mainland, but had been separated by floodwaters. And um, I looked, and I noticed there was this, what appeared to be a man staring at me through the brush. And I thought at first I was looking at a black man, but I grew up with black people, and I know what they look like. This is not a black man. It appeared to me to be a human being that was burnt to a char, you know, like charcoal. I could make out eyes, very large, rounded eyes, very small pupils. I could make out the mouth, which appeared to be pursed and looking at, you know, had this look on it like it was going to attack me. But I couldn't make out the nose. It was too dark. But I remember seeing sunlight reflecting off the top of its forehead. And it was wearing, you know, it's nine, eight, nine degrees outside. I'm wearing my B-52 flight jacket, and basically I'm dressed for the weather. This thing is wearing a white button-down shirt, and it's kind of staring at me through the brush. And so I'm standing there staring at it. It goes on maybe 45 seconds a minute, and I got a little antsy about what was going to be happening because, you know, you hear all the time about people who go on meth trips, drug trips, get you know, wasted, and they go out in the woods to sleep it off. And, sure, yeah. Yeah, there's some people out in the wilderness that will hurt you if you let them. And so I had a bayonet knife on my belt, so I went and took my hand and put it on the handle of the bayonet knife. And when I did so, this this thing that was on the island launched into this gigantic fit of rage. Uh, instead of coming down to attack me, I watched it run all over that island, screaming and hollering, throwing things around. And through the breaks of the thickets, I could tell it was wearing blue pants. I couldn't make out the hands or the feet or nothing. And it did this for about maybe 45 seconds or so, screaming and hollering. And it was the voice of a man, a very deeply throated man. And after about that 45 seconds, it reappeared back in the same spot as it was before, up until that point, you could have had me convinced it was just some guy that was whacked out on drugs. But it stood at me for about another five seconds or so, and then I watched it jump into the trees overhead, a height of over 15 feet, and scurried up. It was maybe about 60, 70 feet up, and proceeded to run through the trees, screaming and hollering like an ape. Now, 
for the audience to understand, there is no creature in nature capable of a 15-foot vertical leap, especially humans. And there is only a tiny handful of creatures, mammals in nature, capable of actually running through trees like that. And humans are not on that list. And I'm standing there watching these giant cedars and locusts pitching back and forth from the weight of this thing uh, running and climbing through it. And all the while, I think it's going to come down and attack me, but it never does. This goes on for another minute or so, and eventually it disappears in the tree line around the back of the island, and I don't hear it anymore. And things start to get a little quiet, and eventually nature comes back. I can, I can hear the, the wind rustling through the tall grass again. I can hear the birds again. Uh, things kind of go back to normal. And then I can hear the dogs going off on the f- individual farms that are surrounding the marsh, one after another, like in succession, as if this thing is, you know, running through, you know, all of the lands, you know, these farms are on. And um, that's my particular encounter with that creature. And I think it's over. After a long while, I get up the nerve to kind of like try to make my way out of the the marshes. And it's, it's a slow go because, I, you know, you can't see what's coming in, in the tall grass. If something's charging at you, you can't see it. And uh, there's a point where the marsh kind of gives way to the woods. Um, and it, it was at about that point where I thought I was safe, and I begin to hear something walking behind me. And I turn around, and there's nothing there. And I would take several more steps, and I would hear footsteps behind me. And I turn around, there's nothing there. And I'm scanning the trees and everything, nothing. And whatever that was that followed me out of the woods for about, maybe about two and a half miles to the highway, it followed me all the way through the woods to the highway. Wow. And that was my encounter with the Aberdeen Wild Man. So this creature, for lack of a better term, was clothed, which is a bit unusual when you're talking about a cryptid. So do you think this was more of a spiritual uh, encounter or something less cryptid and maybe more um, evil? Um, for one thing, a kid has no concept of evil. <laughs> That's uh, teenagers especially. You have no concept yeah, of evil. Yeah, but in retrospect, so. in retrospect, you can look at, back at it now. You've got a much better understanding. Do you think that this was a product of something evil? Um. Um, I cannot determine that because of the feelings I got off of it. I sensed it before I knew it was there. Mm-hmm. So there's this powerful spiritual quality it had. And if you talk to any experienced hunter, they'll tell you, you don't really sense a bear's presence right. uh, it, unless you see it. You don't sense a deer unless you're up on it. And I sensed this thing before I saw, uh, powerfully sensed it before I actually saw it. So it, um, it, uh, it, it had... It, is it living or is it spiritual? It's definitely spiritual. Is it living? I can't say. But I did watch it physically manifest itself in ways that a physical being should, but did things that humans cannot. So it's it's a very tough thing to describe to people because it looked human, but it did not behave human at all. And it was wearing clothes. I mean, that's kind of a puzzling piece here. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, there's been comparisons to this encounter with something like a Bigfoot. Uh, obviously, I've never heard of a report of a Bigfoot type creature being seen wearing a button-down shirt. Exactly, which just make puts this into a completely different category. 
and if they did, it'd probably be uh, you know a high-end chain like Van Husen or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. they do have taste in yeah. class. What, but what uh, about, I, um, I saw Sasquatch in 1975 in the summer of 1975, and uh, this is nothing like it. Well, bef- yeah, and I, I want to ask you about that. But going back to the Aberdeen Wild Man, uh, had there been reports of this creature or something similar? being seen in that area by other people over a period of time? Rumors of things that people can't explain that they hear. And the farms, you know, I went and talked to many of the people who live in the outskirts around that marsh. And, you know, they've all got stories about the weird things they hear, the screams, the hollers, the hoots, um, the familiar things we find in cryptozoology. Nothing, uh, people don't, I, I didn't come across anybody who reported actually seeing what I saw or anything like it. So where where was the name Aberdeen Wildman coined? Is that something that you coined? No, actually, I went for an entire year. If if anybody's wondering how I know the specific dimensions of this whole factor of this whole affair, like how high fifteen a foot fifteen foot vertical leap was, is because about two weeks later, I told my best friend about it. Um, you know, his name is Mike. He's six foot foot two. Big man. He was a he was a doorman, and nobody messed with him. So I felt like you know he got interested. He wanted to, to see it for himself. So we went back there together a couple weeks later, because there's no way on this God's green earth I'm going back there by myself. Sure. And um, Mike and I, I had Mike stand in the same spot that this thing stood in, and it was near about the same height Mike was. And uh, we uh, we both stood there, and we sized up everything. We both determined it had to be about 15 feet. I mean, the lowest branch is about 15, you know, the lowest branch that could bear weight was about 15 feet. And so this is where I get my size dimensions from. And we went all over that area, all over that island, looking for evidence, and we found nothing. Um, and um, I told nobody else about it. And about a year later, I'm sitting in, um, I'm at home. Um, some friends of ours from up uh, further, uh, further up the county came down to visit us. Now, um, the husband, his name's Tim. He was a sergeant of the Aberdeen Proving Grounds, which is next door to where all this happened, within about a mile. The Aberdeen Proving Grounds is our nation's oldest military ordnance proving grounds. And um, it was also um, one of the participants in what people would know as Project Paperclip, which is familiar in all conspiracy folklore. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And, um, you know, Mike started talking to me about working at the proving grounds. I got up the nerve to tell him about the strange thing I saw. And Mike wheeled around, looked into the kitchen where my parents were sitting there talking to his wife, and he says, Honey, Frank saw the wild man. And he proceeded to tell me that um, personnel at the Aberdeen Proving Grounds had also encountered a creature just like what I'm describing. And they called it the Aberdeen, uh, the Aberdeen Wild Man. And that's where I got the name. Uh, Frank, a short segment here, just a couple of minutes. But let's talk about how people can get a hold of the book and uh, your social media and other places that people can find and follow your work. Yeah, the Internet is a complicated place. All you got to do is go into Google and type my name, Frank J. Bennett, and everything about me and how to reach me and see my stuff comes up. And I tell everybody, make sure you put that J in there, because if you leave it out, you're going to get some creepy lounge singer in Las Vegas. <laughs> um, I'm not close to kidding. There, there, I guess there are worse things that, that could come up. Um, your book, uh, Encounter with the Aberdeen Wildman, that, is that the first book? Or I know you have a couple of books. Yeah, that's that's the first book I wrote in 2014. 
You wrote that in 2014. And since then, you've written another book, and I believe the other one is fiction? Paranormal science fiction. There you go. I coined the term, and I want to nickel every time somebody says it. Oh, I'm that- kidding. Um, <laughs> Paranormal science fiction, and it incorporates everything I love, the paranormal, sci-fi, and history. And uh, when was that one released? Oh, that, that came out this past year. Oh, yes. And uh, in a nutshell, I, uh, it, it centers around a central question. If the Founding Fathers had somehow had the, had the ability to see into the present day and what the United States became, knowing this, would they have even bothered at all? And that's also available uh, if people do the same Google search using the yeah. J, right? Exactly. And uh, you you have a, a Facebook page that's pretty active. You have a Facebook community as well. Yeah, I do. Um, and um, and um, love them all. They're all good friends. Uh, but um, you know, um, I, I post my comings and goings. But uh, you know, basically just show related stuff. I'm not a very I'm a very private person, so I don't. Uh, you're not going to know where I eat from day to day. Right. Right. Well, that's probably refreshing to some people. I, I, Very I, much so, yeah. I shake my yeah. my head when I see people, uh, you know, posting every meal they've got or whatever it happens to be. Again, our guest Frank J. Bennett and Frank, we're talking about your book. I want to go to ghosts. I want to talk a little bit about what you have learned over the years about ghosts, what they might be, what maybe you've learned in your biblical studies, your Bible studies. So let's start out with that very very simple question: What are ghosts? Well, before I do that, I want, uh, how much you want to bet that right before I said that, before the break, how many people went on Google and searched for Frank Bennett without the J just to see who the creepy lounge singer in Vegas is? I bet you he got a few hits tonight. I, I bet you got some hits tonight, man. Yeah. <laughs> he owes you. He owes you a little bit there. He owes me, baby. Um, now, the word ghost, as it appears in Scripture, is spirit, plain and simple, no fans or buts. Ghostly appari- the first ghostly apparition recorded is in the book of Samuel, and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's well documented, and it's at the behest of what's called a necromancer, a witch, who brings up the spirit of Saul, uh, of, of Samuel, excuse me, to consult Saul, and he's very angry about it. So that's the first uh, mention in Scripture of a ghostly apparition. And uh, in, when Jesus appears to the Twelve after the crucifixion, uh, in the upper room, they think he's a ghost. And so for that reason, he has them uh, take their fingers and place them into the wounds in his hands and his side. And they realize he's flesh and blood. And so uh, the, the, the idea of ghosts exists all through Scripture. Okay, so the idea of ghosts exists through Scripture, but do the does the modern understanding of what a ghost is from our pop culture perspective, for lack of a better way to describe it, does that agree with Scripture? Not really, no, because we keep trying to attribute uh, attitudes and morality to everything. We, we're under this impression that every time you see a spirit, it's a dearly departed human. Right. And uh, as I make absolutely clear, we have no evidence to support any of this. And um, it has also been well documented, not just by myself but others, that um, spirits uh, can don the appearance of other, fa- uh, you know, other people, even people who are currently alive, just for the purpose of deception. So you cannot take a spirit at face value. So when we have reported hauntings today, um, if somebody says. You know, last night I woke up and there was, uh, my grandmother was standing at the foot of my bed. 
and she was talking to me, and then she just disappeared. Uh, and that grandmother obviously had departed. What are we seeing? Well, I, I encounter when I do live events all over the country. I do I do about a hundred dates a year all over the United States. People come to me and they tell me these stories. Not just this, but the creatures they've encountered in UFOs and stuff like that. The first thing I ask them when they say something like that is, what did you feel when you were, what did it leave you feeling like after the discussion? I mean, what were you feeling at the time? And many of them communicate to me a feeling of, of peacefulness, and it really put them at rest, Yeah. Uh, answered some questions for them. Sure. It was, it was like a way of saying goodbye to somebody you didn't get a chance to say goodbye to. You know, closure. And that communicated to me that that was not, that's not actually the ghost of the departed loved one. That's actually an angelic apparition of your loved one that's in heaven. Um, in the book of uh, Exodus, chapter um, 16, uh, is the story of Abraham, who is visited by the three angels. And the three angels are the visage of, you know, the God in heaven. And uh, they have different images about them, and that's how the angelics work. They're sent here to earth because the spirit cannot return back to earth. But in the angelic, it can be given the image of the person that's in heaven who had departed this world so that they can communicate this to uh, the living. Let's, and that, that's what many people are seeing. I, I want to come back to this point in just a minute, but before we do that, let's jump to our phone lines. This is Tom in Austin, Texas. Hi, Tom. Welcome to the program. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Frank, uh, yeah, I, I had many experiences like you had, but uh, the creatures I saw were not uh, anything like the ones you saw. I, and I just want to say I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith alone. And I just thank God I'm saved because we are up against things that you just wouldn't, well, the world would believe, the unbelievers wouldn't believe. You know, I mean, these. I actually had physical contact with them. I actually wrestled with one for a short period of time in Amarillo, Texas. Tom, when you, had a Tom let me interrupt Go you. Ahead. Let me just interrupt you. So when you say you wrestled with one, what are you talking about? Well, it uh, it grabbed me by the side yeah, of my no, neck. No, 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 hold on, though. What is it? What is it? What, was this a creature? It, it was a creature about nine feet tall, very black, and it had a wingspan, a huge wingspan, and it had bat-like wings, and it was massive. It was like the size of a... Uh, there's a place called Cabela's here in Texas. It's a uh, sporting goods store, and they have sure. grizzly bears and polar bears standing there. And it's about the size of a grizzly or a polar bear. They're huge. But this thing didn't have hair like that. It was, uh, it was a man-like type creature and tremendously powerful. I tried to wrestle with it. You know, I, you could actually make them leave by calling on the blood of Jesus or the name of Jesus. Where, were you, off, I, where were you when this creature attacked you? This is Amarillo, Texas. Not only uh, were you in the woods. My wife was right next to me. I'm sorry. Were you in the woods? Were you in your house? No, I was in a house. And what actually happened is uh, I had gone to a a rally where this uh, so-called healing priest, a very famous priest by the name of Diorio, Father Ralph, they called him. He was a a healer, and I, I, I'm a new, I was a new Christian at the time, and I got up and I ridiculed him. I said he was a phony. And uh, that night at 3.30 in the morning, this creature attacked me. I figured it was his healing demon that it had attacked me. But I had many experiences like that. There was a, The last time it happened was in 2002, and it was like, I, I heard like a, a gargling sound, like somebody gargling, gargling and I <clears throat> got went out of my deck, and I uh, turned on the flashlight, and there was probably 1,200, at least 1,200 of these creatures, these monkey-like, gargoyle-like critters with Wings folded, they were greenish, and they had brown stripes running down their chest. And uh, they, they had no horns, but they had long tails, and you could see the muscles in their legs. There's six of them that were real close to me. I just sat, I put that flashlight on them for 10, 15 minutes and just sat there and looked at them. I wanted to see what they were going to do. 
And after a while, I said, well, okay, uh, you've been here long enough. you got to go in the name of Jesus. Uh, I call on Jesus, so go, and they left. But I had 36 experiences like this, different kind of experiences, within a uh, 22-year period between 80 and 2002. Another time, I was five inches from one. It had a, uh, it was, again, it was a little black, bright, dark black, monkey-like creature. This one had reddish eyes and had the, the, the little folded bat-like wings. <clears throat> it was kind of... It wasn't frightening, but it was weird looking. It was just like a Halloween toy. You find a kid in a kid's uh, toy store. And I smacked it as hard as I could, and it went flying, you know. And it, you could hear its little toenails clicking on the linoleum floor when it ran away. And it was, I mean, we were five. I was five inches from its face. We were face-to-face, and it was touching my ear. And Tom, these things are, I mean, they're as real as you and I. Yeah, I mean, t- Tom, hold, hold on a second. I just want to get, uh, I want to get Frank's um, input here. Frank, what do, you, what do you think about what you're hearing? Yeah, Tom's definitely under his household is under attack. Tom is the head of the household, so he would be the one he, he would be the one who would have power. And uh uh the fa- the the story about the monkeys, that's good. I love that. You're being stalked, you're being hunted, um but you have the power. Tom, oh, yeah. write everything down and share it with the world. Reason being and that's this is what I do. I because of what I tell people they find in me somebody they can tell their stories to because there's you know millions of people out there who are going through stuff like this who have no one to talk to about it and are suffering privately write yeah, it down like Tom. To get it out it there too for many the world. people will think you're nuts you know they're, they're not going to believe especially uh, i this indian friend of mine saw the demons with clothes on i said what we were both wondering how how could why would demons wear clothes <laughs> in the philippines yeah. they were wearing clothes too these little uh, duendinas they called them when i was over there the creatures had clothes on. I mean, they're strange. They, these demons, you can't, they're, they're hard to figure. You know, they're, they, uh, they don't act uh, like we think they should act. I, I don't understand them. Yeah, and don't, don't try to understand them. You don't need to, and that's part of the problem is people are trying to reason what these things are and trying to apply a science that doesn't exist to figure them out, trying to get along with them. Don't get along with them. Oh, no, they, they want to bury us, man. I mean, <clears throat> the Bible's real. I just stop screaming to the world, hey, man, the Bible's real. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He shed his blood. You could, but, salvation's a free gift. Like I said, Tom, write all this stuff down and get it out for the world to hear, because there's other people going through the same thing that need to find somebody else they can relate to about these things. Just a quick note, you've got to go to Scaracon.com. Check out the event coming up. In Rochester, New York, just a couple weeks away. Now, it's some people call it a horror convention. Some people call it a paranormal convention. Some people call it a pop culture convention. It's all of those things, and it's a lot of fun. There are celebrity guests. There are panel discussions. There are great vendors. There are parties and a lot more. Just go to Scaricon.com. Check it out. Uh, it's in Rochester, New York, October 18th through the 20th. You're going to want to be there. Our guest tonight, Frank J. Bennett. We're talking about all things paranormal with Frank. His book is called Encounter with the Aberdeen Wildman, A True Story. Frank, short segment here. But I want to go back to the discussion we were having about ghosts. You said something very, very profound. You said that that image of, you know, the, the proverbial image of the grandmother at the end of the bed. That's not a ghost. What that is, is an apparition of the grandmother as she is or, or from heaven. Explain that. Um, in Scripture, it says to be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. So, you know, where does the spirit go when you die? 
Now, this could follow according to your belief system, but as a Christian, um, when you leave your body, your spirit is transported immediately uh, into heaven, and it does not return. And for that reason, uh, in order for uh, a loved one to be actually seen, uh, the the only way it could be possible is with an angelic apparition, and angels communicate that's that's what the word angel means it's 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 a messenger and it communicates that message from heaven to people on on earth that's that's why i say that so frank, by the way the music you're playing is giving me 80s flashbacks <laughs> and not in the best way oh really i'm sorry about that um so you know what you just said here about our understanding of these visions that we may or may not see uh really redefines everything that uh, many people know about the paranormal there's other belief systems at work here. I cannot speak for them. I know fully about them, but I want to speak on their behalf. And so, um, as not to not to offend anybody, this is what the Christian religion t- uh, teaches, and it's what I personally believe. And uh, there are spirits that, that you have to understand something that before uh, you know Jesus came into the world, when people died, they went to the spirit went to one of two places. It's called Hades. Uh, Halos in the Greek, and you either went to the comfort side of Hades or the torment side. And this is why in the book of Luke, chapter 16, you find this occasion where the rich man and the beggar die, the rich man goes into the torment side of hell, and the, the beggar goes in the comfort side, and they can actually see each other, and they're just separated by a gulf. The comfort side of hell, the people who are faithful to God, that was evacuated on the day of Pentecost when Jesus actually ascended into heaven. They all went with Jesus into heaven, so no more of those people remain. The spirits that were left in the torment side of hell are still there. Now, they cannot exit hell. However, just as the woman saw the apparition of the grandmother, and I said that was an angelic uh, apparition from heaven, so too also can the angels of Satan take on the appearance of those departed not of the Lord, and bring those to the surface for the living to see, and by means of deception, using the apparition or the appearance of somebody who had departed to deceive the living. And what would we call that, uh, using common language that uh, maybe a paranormal investigator would use? Well, I don't know. Well, each of them have their own ways about them. Let me just put it in a nutshell. Uh, A spirit, you know, it doesn't have to be a demonic to put a hurting on you. A regular spirit can put a real hurting on you. Mm-hmm. You do not know why they're there. Uh, you have no way of checking their ID. You, have, uh, you know, and, and the scripture says, "Try the spirits, whether you know be heaven above or hell beneath." You have to inquis- inquisitor of them. You have to ask them many, many questions. Put them on the spot. Interrogate them. They will fail if they are not of, of the Lord. They will fail. We're talking with Frank J. Bennett. We're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. One more quick question before we go to the break. We've got um, about 40 seconds here. Uh, so what is a haunting then? When more than just grandma, they're appearing at the end of the bed, but you've got, you know, constant knocks in, on the walls or feet, you know, footsteps down the hall, doors slamming over and over again. What are we talking about there? In the Germanic language, that's referred to as poltergeist, and the key word, key word is geist, G-H-E-I-S-T, which is interpreted ghost. It means vapor, and uh, that's what they attributed all to, small spirits that uh, basically are mischievous and tormenting. 
Tonight we're talking with Frank J. Bennett, author of the book Encounter with the Aberdeen Wildman, a true story. Frank, we often on this program talk to people who have had well more than their fair share of paranormal experiences. We kind of look at those people as being somewhat of a lightning rod for paranormal activity. You seem to be one of those people. You've written a book that includes many, many experiences. Why do you think that's happened to you? Good question. I've been asked that at a number of shows, and uh, you never know exactly why things happen to you. Uh, um, and I was getting ready. I was going to remark before about, you know, if I was thinking about what happened to Tom, the previous caller, if he didn't have something that they wanted, they wouldn't be after him that bad. I mean, that what right. he was describing was pretty extreme, right. to be physically attacked like that and be stalked like that. If he didn't have something they really, really wanted, they wouldn't have been be after him like that. And so that's what I think would happen to me. Put yourself in Satan's shoes for a minute. Look at what I do today. I travel the country, speak on these topics, uh, and I speak Scripture, and I link so many things together. Uh, and I was, I actually, while we were on break, I was reading an article about me in the Los Angeles Post-Examiner about uh, this very subject, uh, an interview I gave to them. And um, if you were Satan and you knew what I could be doing in the future, wouldn't you want to stop me too? Yeah, and that would make sense. That would make sense. And so it's the only thing I can come up with, because quite, quite uh, honestly, outside of the, the credentials listed in my book... And, uh, you know, my, my career in, de- in the demolition field and things like that, uh, being a public figure, I don't have anything to show for it. You said uh, a while ago you had a, an encounter with Bigfoot, or you had a sighting of Bigfoot, I think in uh, mid-70s, you said. Tell us what happened there. It was uh, summer of 1975. If anybody remembers what it was like back then, everybody was seeing Bigfoot everywhere. That's right, yeah. And, and you know... Um, and it was getting near late in the day, and the dogs, and like maybe about a half hour before dark, the dogs everywhere started going off. I mean, just going off. They were going nuts everywhere. And um, a lot of us came out of the house to see what the problem was, because we couldn't see it. And uh, it was getting near dark, and you could actually track what was going on by what dogs on what farms were going nuts, okay? And this particular, this uh, there was a creek that ran through a number of the, the properties nearby my house, a number of the farms. And we're standing at the edge of my property, our property is my dad, one of my little brothers, and a neighbor. We're standing at the edge of our property and looking on a neighboring farm, and in the distance you could see this gigantic figure, humanoid. It's definitely a human shape this gigantic figure stomping along the creek that runs, the creek bed that runs through that farm. And you know the size of it because the, 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 the cattle are scattering. And in proportion to the cattle, it's much larger. And, um, and my dad had me run in the house, get a big Everetti flashlight I had, see if we could spotlight it. But, it, you know, it was just, it was just you know, out of, out of sight by about the time I managed to get back out with it. And that's when we saw Sasquatch for the first time. What do we think this Sasquatch creature is? It's a little more diff, uh, it's a different explanation. It's probably less of a, a spiritual explanation here, but uh, I'll, I'll leave it to you. What do you think this creature is? In order to write the book, I examined more than 1,000 encounters, not sightings, 
encounters, people that have been kind of up close and personal with the creature. And I was looking for the characteristics. What do they all report? The first thing they report is size. Size is an extremely intimidating thing. And if you look at the construction of the Sasquatch, when I, when I speak at live events, I throw up the images that people have. You look at the size and construction of it, it's a huge, intimidating creature. And I ask you, if it was only five feet tall, would you be so intimidated by it? If it, was, uh, if it had narrow shoulders and a big belly, would you be intimidated by it then? Right. There's this big intimidation factor by size and proportion. The next thing people tend to report uh, is the eyes. It usually has a very haunting gaze to it, almost mesmeric uh, in, its, in its gaze. And that's a form of hypnotism. That's a form of communication via eyesight, which is odd. Uh, only, uh, there's only a handful of other creatures in nature that have that, uh, owls being among them, by the way. And um, the next thing would be the odor, of course. Not once, only maybe once or twice do I record any, I remember anybody talking about uh, it's junk. You're like, oh. it stood up and it was almost as big as the one I had. Yeah, you don't see that about anywhere in people describing encounters with a Sasquatch. One would think you would look. I mean, if, I, if you see a horse stand up on it, rear up on its hind legs, everybody looks. Right. <laughs> I mean, I was raised around horses, trust me, we did. The um, it, the sightings seem to come in waves, or at least the uh, frequent the uh, not the frequency the the um, concentration of sightings seems to come come in waves. Um, and if we're talking about a creature that's intimidating, why? And if and if intimidation is its purpose or its function, uh, why does it remain so elusive? Let me. Um... Earlier this year, I spoke at a conference in Fort Myers, Florida. It was a UFO and, you know, cryptoid conference. Uh, I made the entire room angry by doing a very simple thing. Um, I threw up a picture of a footprint of a Bigfoot next to the footprint of a human being. And I told the audience, what you're looking at right now is the only physical evidence that a Sasquatch exists. There are no bones, and believe me, anthropologists have been looking for them. No bones of any kind anywhere on the planet. Um, there's no hair samples to go by, though some claim there are. But the uh, analysis always come back as bare for some reason. There is no physical evidence this creature has ever existed at all, with the exception of the footprints. And I want to talk to everybody I know in the paranormal field who investigates have we not seen entities, paranormal entities, also leave footprints? Have we not seen them also leave handprints on, on you know, glass? Yeah, sure. I mean, does, does Sasquatch have to be a living thing to make a footprint? The answer, uh, and this is what made them all mad, they, they couldn't argue with me. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, we, we have talked about those types of theories as well, that this is not a flesh-and-blood creature. Uh, it is something um, either interdimensional, spiritual. Some people think it's, something, it's, uh, it's extraterrestrial in some fashion. There's another possibility that I'd like the audience to consider. It's something called lycanthropy. Okay. And uh, like, we get the word lycanthropy from a race of uh, people who lived a long time ago in the extreme northern part of Greece, uh, an area called Thrace. 
and they were called the Lycans, L-Y-C-A-N-S. And the legend goes that during different uh, phases of the night, they were transformed into different creatures. It doesn't say wolves, it says creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where we get the term lycanthropy, where through powerful spiritual forces, humans or other living things are transformed to appear as or be as something else. And we have many reports of people who have actually shot Sasquatch, hit it. And when the skin samples, blood samples, uh, hair, have gone in for DNA analysis, they come back as either one of two things, bare or indeterminate, which could, uh, you know, that could only mean that they didn't have enough to really render a decision or a conclusion as to what it was based on the sample. Now, in lycanthropy, that would use powerful spiritual forces to transform one living thing to appear as another. Were people shooting at the Sasquatch, thinking it was a Sasquatch, but actually hitting a bear? I would imagine that's uh, that's a very plausible um, explanation. And I had to consider that when I looked at the Aberdeen Wild Band. Mm-hmm. Because there was that very powerful spiritual force that was with it, very overwhelming. It overwhelmed me. It uh, it uh, took me. It put me in a place where I was unable to fully comprehend. Uh, you know, I could see my surroundings, but I couldn't hear them. I couldn't. Se- I couldn't feel them. Uh, and it it grabbed my attention that way. And so it, there's obviously a strong spiritual force associated with this. Right. Mm, and that's why I brought out that theory. Yeah, um, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to run out of time here, and I want to move the topic to something that's been in the news rather uh, recently. The U.S. Navy reported not long ago that uh, video it had captured, or pilots, Navy pilots had captured, of unidentified objects uh, in the sky were legitimate videos. That does not necessarily mean that they are extraterrestrial in nature, or we, they just say, that, no, we do not know what they are, and we can't explain them based on what we saw, which was a major step forward uh, for the military as far as disclosure and admitting that um, there might be something in our skies. So when we talk about UFOs, where do we make these connections, and what are these objects that people are reporting all over the world that they see in the sky? In 2000, I saw a black helicopter, <clears throat> that one and only time, and I watched it 30 feet suspended above my house, long, black, it really looked like a, an Apache, just wider and fatter. You, couldn't, you could see the outline of the rotors, it was, it was near dark, you couldn't, you couldn't hear just an itty-bitty, almost indiscernible hum. Hmm. No downdraft, none at all, it was only 30 feet up. Hmm. And if we've got that kind of technology floating around out there and drones, well, then all bets are off. What else could we replicate? Do you uh, have any put any stock into the idea that we may have at some point captured or recovered some type of alien craft and reverse engineered engineered the technology? And have no, put, no, no, I don't. Uh, you know, for as long as we've had flight, we've been trying to imitate the things we see in the sky. That's a fact. Yeah. You can go look at the works of Da Vinci uh, to prove that. Um, um, when I speak to live groups, I put up side-by-side imagery, live footage of orbs moving through people's homes uh, and uh, alien UFO footage captured in orbit about the planet. 
and also in the skies. And I run them side by side, and I dare everybody to tell me the difference between the two, because they articulate and behave in almost an identical fashion. Now, these things are, to my understanding, not supposed to be from around here. However, they behave identically to things that paranormal investigators are capturing on their cameras in people's houses. Why? There's one more topic I wanted to touch on before we have to let you go, and that is your experience with shadow people. Uh, Your reference to that experience seems to indicate that it affected you probably more so or certainly greatly, but maybe even more so than any of your other encounters. Why? Uh, I saw one spirit, uh, one dark entity in the summer of 1979 in my house. And if you, see, if you see one, you don't need to see a second one. Trust me, one's enough. And it shakes you to the core. It, it affects you spiritually and intimidates you spiritually. And that's why you don't understand it, because we don't have no concept of our own spirit. We're experiencing something completely alien to us. And it stays with you for a long time. I spent most of the early part of the 1980s looking over my shoulder, expecting to see that thing again. That's how it, mm, that's how it affected wow. me. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, what they are uh, is what everybody wants to know, and I, and I, you know, everybody will agree it's not something good. Uh, if you see one, um, it's only it's it basically these are the generals of the spirit world of the of the evil spirit world. They are there, when they show up. Wow. That means there's a judgment coming upon you, and it's not good. Hmm. Um, quickly, uh, there's been a kind of a resurgence or a resurgence or a revival in paranormal reality television and you know you've been following this for a long time been in this industry for a while what are your thoughts on this new crop of shows that are popping up uh, i don't know about that jason hall's guy i don't know what he's up to <laughs> i'm kidding um it, it's it's they're they're bordering on dime a dozen yeah, um yeah I, I love evidence is not feelings. Feelings are not evidence. You, when you're collecting evidence, imagine yourself presenting it to somebody like Judge Judy or yeah. somebody. I mean, be very careful with the evidence. We, we're using technology that we think detects spirit activity, but we we don't know that for sure. And there is no science out there that can that can detect these things. We don't have one. And uh, as hard as I've looked, I wanted to know why I can see a spirit manifestation. And there's nothing in all of science that says an electric magnetic phenomenon can lead to a physical uh, or or, par- or, or, or uh, gaseous apparition of anything. Yeah. So there's no connection to it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had I've had a little bit of difficulty with the reliance on the feelings. You know, I feel I feel an energy. I feel this, or uh, the complete reliance on these EMF spikes. It seems a little strange to me that that's the way this whole thing's moved. Listen, we're out of time, Frank. It's been a great discussion. Once again, where can people find your book and find out where you're going to be speaking if they want to, uh, you know, attend one of your talks? Where are you going to be? Well, um, you can find my books on Amazon. Google me up. Uh, I do it every day, and I'm, I'm humiliated. But uh, my next appearance is actually going to be uh, later this month on the 17th and 18th at Happy Trails in Roanoke, Virginia. I won't be speaking there, but you can come say hey to me. And then I'll be at the uh, Comic-Con, uh, I'm sorry, Fayetteville Comic-Con, Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the 19th and 20th. Terrific. Thanks for being here tonight. We appreciate your time. Good to meet you guys. Y'all take care of yourselves. Uh, just a quick note on, on television shows that are popping up, the paranormal stuff. Um, Jason's show, uh, Ghost Nation, is premiering this month. 
just a couple weeks, I think. I, I, can't, I think it's the 11th. I'm not exactly sure of the date. I have to double check that. Um, but in addition to that, you know, Grant's, uh, Grant Wilson from Ghost Hunters has uh, been part of the relaunch of the Ghost Hunter show. Um, it's I, I don't know. I, I was kind of disappointed in what I saw on the first couple of episodes there. Uh, maybe it'll change, but I didn't think the team was quite as strong as the original team, obviously. And I felt like it was just kind of the same stuff. And then they started and they're starting to rely a little bit more on feeling and and I don't know, personal experiences versus the scientific stuff that we all got used to. But that's my uh, humble opinion. And uh, I'm anxious to see what Ghost Nation does. But anyway, that's going to do it for tonight, everybody. Hope you have a great night and we will see you tomorrow night. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJParanormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.